This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Ontario's College of Nurses has just revoked Elizabeth Wetlofer's license, even though she's already serving a life sentence for murdering eight patients. But could they have acted sooner to prevent the tragedy? And how to save your mind with seven simple rules. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Call your senators and tell them it just isn't fair to leave folks on the hook with more costs and less care. That's a clip from a video put out by AARP. The American Zoomer Advocacy Group is at the forefront of a campaign against the repeal of the Affordable Health Care Act or Obamacare. They're particularly against cuts to Medicare, which would have seniors paying a lot more in premiums for their coverage. This week, the American Senate voted to open the debate on repealing Obamacare, but then voted down a number of proposed replacement bills. It's an old saying, money can't buy happiness, but a new study suggests the opposite, and it comes down to paying someone else to do your chores. Researchers conducted a study in Vancouver in which they gave participants $40 a week, two weeks in a row. The participants were told to spend the 40 bucks on a material purchase one week and a time-saving service like cleaning or grocery delivery the next week. At the end of both weeks, the researchers found that most participants reported their time-saving purchases increased happiness and reduced feelings of time stress. The material purchases did not have the same impact. The studies published in the Journal of the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. For 75 years, he's helped keep airplanes safe and flying high. This month, 91-year-old Azriel Al Blackman was honored for his lengthy career with American Airlines. He started with the company back when they were known as American Export Airlines and earned 50 cents an hour as an apprentice in the sheet metal shop. Al worked hard, and over the years, he moved up to become a full-fledged airline mechanic maintaining American Airlines' fleet in New York City. At 91, he's still at it, working as a crew chief with a 5 a.m. start time. American Airlines celebrated his 75th anniversary in fitting fashion. They dedicated a brand-new Boeing 777 to Al Blackman, adorned with his name, signature, and the number 75. Al Blackman intends to keep working for the company. When asked about retirement, he simply says, "'That's not my style.'" She was the fourth and final wife of one of the world's biggest stars. Fill my heart with song. Let me sing forevermore. 
This week, Barbara Sinatra passed away at the age of 90. A former model and Las Vegas showgirl, Barbara Sinatra was a prominent Palm Springs socialite in her own right before she married Sinatra in 1976. She met him when he was hanging out with the Rat Pack. When she became Mrs. Sinatra, she leveraged her celebrity status to become a prominent advocate and philanthropist for abused children. The two were married for 22 years until Frank's death in 1998. Barbara Sinatra passed away Tuesday in her California home from natural causes. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week marked another day of reckoning in the horrific case of the serial killer nurse, Elizabeth Wetlofer, who murdered eight nursing home patients in her care. The College of Nurses of Ontario held a disciplinary hearing and opted to revoke her license, although she's already serving a life sentence. The proceeding raised questions about the role of the college itself. Specifically, why didn't it move against her sooner, and why didn't it inform other employees about the problems on her record? Jane Medes of the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly was at the hearing, and I talked to her afterwards. Going into this hearing, what a lot of people were looking for was to find out whether the college had tried to discipline her on previous occasions, and what they found out was that they hadn't. The initial complaint against Ms. Wetlofer was in 1995 and related to the SAFT, I gather, of medication, specifically lorazepam, in a hospital setting that she was working in. She was found dazed and disoriented at work. Um, She was fired from her position and hospitalized. And at that time, the college um, investigated not as a discipline matter, but around her capacity to be a nurse. She um, underwent some assessments, and a psychiatrist and a a substance abuse specialist indicated uh, that certain things had to be followed, and they put those onto her license, and she followed those requirements for years, things like having to... Um, attend group support meetings, have a psychiatrist, go through drug testing. Um, She complied with that. There were no issues during that year of her not complying. And after six years, as the law was at the time, because she had no other issues, her record was no longer available to the public um, with respect to that issue. Then she was fired in 2014 because of a medication error, but the college decided that it didn't have to ramp up any kind of investigation. In 2014, she was fired um, on March 31st, I believe, from Crescent Care Home, and that was a mandatory report to the college. That was relating to a medication error where she provided, uh, she gave insulin to a person and the person did require insulin but it was the wrong insulin it belonged to a different patient that was what triggered the firing now what we don't know is what may have precipitated even that because it was um, apparent from the way that the information was provided that there must have been other medication errors Um, But at the time, 
the discussions with the college were that the director of nurses at the home did not believe there were any other underlying concerns with respect to the member. She'd always been upfront about her errors, never denied the incidents, and supposedly took ownership of the errors. And so the college felt that it did not meet the level um, to go on to the inquiry or the discipline, into the discipline area. So it was not pursued any further. Did that surprise you that what appeared to be multiple medication errors did not require follow-up from the college? The fact that it did go to such an extent where a home would actually fire someone based on an incident that actually didn't cause harm, um, one is a little surprised because you feel that if the home felt that it was so serious that this person was making multiple errors and they needed to fire them, it would appear that this should be something that should have been followed by the college. Should there be some kind of procedure in place when it comes to a nurse getting fired? Well, I think it should, and I think that the college really does need, as all colleges do, really need to look at situations where people are being fired. Because if they're not able to work in one um, for one employer, what makes them any better to work for another one? And especially in some cases like this, where you have someone who is working, you know, often at night alone, and so there's no real supervision on site with them. And so we have to really look at when you're dealing with something with vulnerable people and patient protection, should there be something um, more transparent either to the public or at least to other employers? And I think that's where I get very concerned is, you know, what was the due diligence of the other employers who uh, hired her subsequently? A lot of people question the ability of a self-regulating body to police its own members. Do you? It is uh, definitely an issue. We certainly have seen um, over the years uh, any self-regulating body, um, whether it be health or law or anything, um, be questioned on its ability to accurately uh, police its own members. It's definitely something we want to see looked at in the inquiry as to, you know, what kinds of cases are going forward. Do you believe that the Wetlawfer case shows some kind of real systemic flaw? Unless you have your own advocate, these things are often not seen by the outside. So who really is looking? Um, It's very difficult sometimes to get complaints verified to get things looked at. When people die, um, the coroner isn't necessarily there. I think there has to be no review of deaths in long-term care. But I think even just the ongoing care, we really have to figure out how do we make sure that it's proper for everyone and not just not for people who have advocates who are there all the time. Jane Meadis from the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Jane Meadis of the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. The Ontario government has agreed to hold a public inquiry in the matter, but has not yet decided on its scope. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, seven rules to save your mind. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP. A new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. 35% of all dementia cases can be prevented by following some simple rules about the way we live. 
That was the headline in a landmark study in the journal The Lancet last week. Neurologist Dr. Antoine Hakim was ahead of the curve. He recently published his own version of the rules in a book called Save Your Mind. I reached him in Ottawa, where he practiced neurology for 40 years. And the reason I wrote the book is that many of my patients and many people that I talk to would say, well, you know, dementia is something that comes with old age. And I kept thinking, no, it doesn't. You know, there are things we can do to reduce the risk for dementia as we get older. It is not inevitable. I did a lot of reading, a lot of analyzing, and wrote the book, uh, divided up the risk factors into seven rules, and it was very nice to see the same rules, the same risk factors listed in this uh, land paper that just came out. So you have seven rules yes. of things that we can all do Correct. to prevent or try to prevent dementia. Correct. Rule number one is to grow your brain's capacity. Right on. The brain is always looking for a way to save energy. Uh, and it, it isn't going to open up new centers in the brain. It isn't going to bring new energy to areas of the brain if you don't push it. So if a person sits in front of the TV and puts their brain to rest, the brain says, thank you very much. Now I don't have to work very hard and gradually loses its ability to work effectively. And so keep your brain uh, always pushed with activities that are both persistent and varied. Crosswords in addition to Sudoku. Crosswords. Uh, how about learning a poem by heart? How about writing a love letter to somebody you love? Uh, what about listening to music? Because that activates so many parts of the brain. And by the way, while you're at it, why don't you get off the chair and move to the, to the music that you're enjoying? Any part of the brain that you push is going to expand because it will bring new blood vessels to this region that you're now activating. What do you mean when you say reduce the debit calls on your mind? Don't get that brain hurt. Don't get that brain injured. The most common injury is that we know of, uh, other than accidents, etc., uh, in the health field is what, what must be avoided is strokes. And, and strokes now are not just these big blood vessels that get blocked, depriving a part of the brain of its blood supply, which is what the definition of a stroke is. But also, we are now seeing very small strokes that the patient didn't even feel. They are covert strokes, they are hidden strokes, and they are tiny, but, but if there is too many of them, it is going to lead to dementia. Your next rule is about one of the things that can cause stroke, and uh, that's uh, high blood pressure. So, Correct. Correct. So you're telling people to keep their blood pressure under control. Absolutely. The next rule is also to do with that, eat right, weigh light, and stay bright. Correct. Correct. So when we talk about risk factors for stroke, risk factors for dementia, they are basically the same. We have to remember that there are other conditions that are toxic to our blood vessels, diabetes, smoking, uh, obesity. We didn't know this until recently, but when you and I walk or run, 
our muscles put out good hormones that go to the brain and keep it healthy. We didn't know that. We didn't know that there was such a direct connection between walking and exercising and and the health of our blood vessels. So when I say this to patients, they immediately imagine that I'm asking them to do massive amounts of exercise. It, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm not saying run the marathon. What I'm saying is do enough to get out of breath a couple of times a day. How is that? You talk about the special importance of exercise that involves hand-eye coordination. Yes. So, so this is part of, part of the story of imposing demands on the brain. Dancing is incredibly healthy to the brain because you're up, you're standing, you're moving, you're listening, you're perhaps enjoying the music, and you're coordinating with, with someone else. Or oh, the other one that is mentioned very often is singing in a choir. Think of what goes on in the brain when you're singing in a choir. You not only you are reading something, so already you're active, you're reading some notes, and then your brain tries to produce notes that are compatible with what the eyes are seeing. And then you've got to coordinate with people around you. It's amazing how demanding that activity is and, and apparently very, very helpful to avoiding dementia. And you have to sleep enough? Yes. If we don't sleep enough, the brain actually is um, sort of intoxicated. Here's one thing that I think people are just coming to realize, and that's the importance of staying socially engaged and also managing depression if you suffer from it. Absolutely. A person will lose his or her partner, and pretty soon they don't feel uh, they're, they're sad, but they also have lost um, the sense of being useful to the world in, in some way. Volunteering is something that we talk about. And, and, and I mentioned in the book, you don't have to volunteer seven days a week. We're talking here, the sweet spot in volunteering is, is three hours a week. It also gets you out of the house. It gets you socially connected. And so the social connection is incredibly important uh, to, to keep our, our mind healthy and, uh, and our heart happy. It turns out when we are sad, it, the blood vessels are poisoned. Uh, and so they they don't work very well. And so that's the connection. Again, you know, the connection is anything that keeps your blood vessels feeding your brain in a good, healthy state is going to help you fight dementia possibility. Dr. Antoine Hakim, thanks so much for being with us. It is my pleasure. Thank you very much, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Dr. Antoine Hakim, author of Save Your Mind, published by Barlow Books. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. One of Canada's celebrated musicians is celebrating his 76th birthday this weekend. We'll be back with his music right after this. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's time for your international art state book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. This is the final weekend to enjoy Toronto's Soul Pepper Theatre in its month-long engagement at the Pershing Square Signature Theatre in New York and the production of Rebirth. Nobody loses all the time. 
Soul Pepper has been earning rave reviews for its old-style theater. In Edinburgh, the Museum of Childhood is playing host to an exhibition of 40 special clockwork characters in a collection of 1800s-era mechanical marvels that include a magician who keeps running through his cups and balls routine and an acrobat based on a Moulin Rouge performer. It runs through mid-September. Now underway in Austria, the Salzburg Festival. The highlight is a production of Verdi's masterpiece, Aida. Organizers expect the festival to draw a quarter million visitors. And at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Arts in Melbourne, a full-scale mature oak tree has been relocated in the gallery for Greater Together, a project that focuses on ideas of collaboration and cooperation as a means of solidarity in a complex and changing world. I'm Bob Comsick with the International Arts Datebook. This weekend, one of Canada's great singer-songwriters is celebrating his 76th birthday. Paul Anka was born in Ottawa on July 30, 1941. As a young boy, he learned to sing in his local church choir. And when he reached high school, he created a vocal trio called the Bobby Soxers. After finishing school, Anka took off for New York City in 1957, set to break into the music business. He was quickly signed to ABC Records. It wasn't just his smooth voice that got him noticed, but also his ability to write songs. In fact, his own first single was a song he wrote himself, and it shot to the top of both the U.S. and Canadian Billboard charts. Here it is from 1957, Diana. That was Paul Anka with Diana. Paul is celebrating his 76th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.